good to be here with, with you all this morning. So like Steve said, my name is Kurt Miller. And I think I'm not, I know some of you in here, but most of you I probably have not met. Nice to meet you. My family and I, we have been overseas for almost 10 years now in the Middle East. And uh, my wife couldn't be here this morning. Unfortunately, she woke up feeling a little nauseous, maybe food poisoning, we think. Hopefully not, but that's what we think. And uh, but our, my, our oldest daughter is here. She's three and a half. She's in the child care, and uh, that's been fun. She's my little partner this morning. So I've known Steve and Randall about 15 years. Uh, I think I met them right before they were about to start Vintage, right? How old is Vintage? 13, yeah, so it was right, right in the planning and vision, uh, casting vision of that, of that process. And so I love these guys. I am so glad to be here and honored to be here. Um, just a moment ago, I went to the restroom, and I saw in the hallway all the pictures of missions, and then on the other side, all the kids that are involved in the fostering and adopting that's involved. And I love this church. I love the ways that you're involved. I mean, we're, you know, missionaries. And so seeing that stuff just makes me come alive because that is what we're called to do. Those are the things that we're called to do as Christians and seeing how active vintage is in those areas of ministry makes me so excited. So anyway, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. This is such a treat, I feel like, for me to be able to be here with you guys. Um, like I said, we've been in the Middle East for almost 10 years. Uh, COVID is one of the reasons why we're here uh, now. We've been here almost a year, but we are trying to go back overseas, back to the Middle East. We're rebuilding a team at the moment in order to move back. And hopefully by the end of this year, we're so ready to get back. So hopefully by the end of this year, we will be back there. Our life has pretty much been there. Our oldest daughter was born there. And so that's kind of who we are. So, but I have grown up in this area in Marietta, Kennesaw, go to Riverstone. You know, that's kind of where my home has been. So that's how I'm connected in this circle. Well, this morning, I'm going to be sharing with you all out of Luke chapter 10. So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles, and I'm going to read this passage. It'll also be on the screen, verses 38 to 42. And I'll read this for us, and then I'll pray, and we can jump in. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Lord, this morning, we invite your Holy Spirit. God, more than anything today, we want to hear from you. God, we want to hear your words. We want to be encountered by your spirit. And we want to see your face. So God, I pray that you would soften our hearts. You would open the eyes of our hearts and allow us to see you in a greater way Lord, to see your face in a way that maybe we haven't before and to encounter you in, in a way that maybe we haven't before. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this passage is probably not one that's unfamiliar to you. Um, Mary and Martha are seen a number of times in the Bible, in, in the Gospels specifically. So to give you a little context about Mary and Martha, they also had a brother. His name was Lazarus. 
So Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're three siblings. Next to Jesus, they are my favorite characters in the gospel because there's only a little bit of scripture about them, but the way that they relate to Jesus is different, in my opinion, a little bit different than the way the disciples and others related to Jesus. So to, to give you context to this passage, I want to mention two other passages. One is Matthew 26, and that's another story about Mary. And then one, another one is John chapter 11, and you can just write those down. I'm just going to mention them. We're not going to read them. But in Matthew chapter 26, we see Mary again. And in this, in this moment, it's right before Jesus is going to die, and Mary comes to Jesus, and she has this alabaster perfume. And she takes this perfume, and she breaks it. At Jesus's feet. And after she does that, the disciples look at her and they say they ridicule her. They say that could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. Why would she waste it like that? And then Jesus looks to the disciples. He doesn't agree with the disciples. Instead, he defends Mary and he said, no, this was a good thing that she has done. She's preparing me for my burial. And when we look at that passage, there's a few things to keep in mind. This perfume that she had, it wasn't just some random oil or perfume, but most scholars think that that was probably some sort of inheritance or a dowry. Um, And if you're not familiar with a dowry, in Jewish culture, what that meant was that her family, Mary's family, again, she's just a single girl, and her family probably left this jar of expensive perfume for her so that she could use it as a dowry, which meant she could give it to the family of her potential husband. So that it's a little bit different, obviously, in some of our cultures. But in Jewish culture, it was the bride would give the husband's family a gift. And that perfume was probably that gift. And she takes that perfume, which you could say is her potential future, the husband that she might have, the life that she might have, and she wastes it. At Jesus's feet, or maybe it was an, an inheritance. Now, an inher- inheritance, maybe some of your families have that as a tradition or something you value. I've, in the West, it doesn't seem as common of a thing anymore to have an inheritance. But I did have one recent encounter with inheritance. My wife, she uh, she's half Mexican, so my father-in-law is Mexican, and over Christmas, he decided it was time to give all of his kids. She's one of five, so to give the five kids their inheritance. And so I'm thinking, you know, I don't, what is this? Uh, I'm not used to this. And, uh, but it, for him being Mexican, it's very traditional for them to do that. And over the years, he's acquired pieces of land. Okay, so land, I guess that's something. And uh, so he, he starts writing out each of their different pieces of land. So he gave to my wife, Ava, and us. He gave us a five-acre plot, but not just any five-acre plot, a beautiful five-acre plot in the middle of the desert in New Mexico. And uh, so I'm thinking, okay, what good is this? And he says, just hold on to it, pay the taxes. They're negligible, and maybe in 20 years it'll be worth something. So anyway, but we received it. It was an inheritance. It was great. And uh, But when we look at this passage, Mary, she has this inheritance. She has this dowry. And it is worth something. My five-acre plot in the middle of the desert in New Mexico might not be worth something, but her inheritance or her dowry is worth something. And she takes it and she just breaks it at Jesus' feet. She wastes all of it and doesn't care. Doesn't care about being intimidated by the disciples. She just gives it to Jesus. 
Now, another passage that we see is in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, this is when Jesus goes to raise Lazarus from the dead. Another passage you're probably very familiar with. But what's interesting is that Jesus had already left Judea. And when he heard of Lazarus' death, he said, okay, we have to go back, but not yet. And that he, he also said, this sickness will not end in death. The, when he said that, the disciples thought he was crazy because everyone who was there, the Pharisees primarily, wanted to kill Jesus. Jesus, why are we going back? They want to stone you. They want to kill us. But Jesus said, no, we're going back for my friend, Lazarus. So he tells them that he's going back. And when he gets back, first person he encounters is Martha, okay, Mary's sister, who we also saw in Luke 10. He encounters Martha, and when he sees Martha, Martha looks at him and said, if only you had been here, but even still, I know that you can raise him from the dead. She still has that faith to say, I know that you can still raise him from the dead. This is Martha who is doing all the serving and being busy in Luke chapter 10. She is expressing to him, I know you can raise him from the dead. And then not only that, but at the, at the end of that encounter with Martha, she actually says, I know that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's, who's been sent to the world. And that is the highest confession that we see in the Gospels. The confession that Peter made in Matthew 16. It was a truth. It's what we know. We're very familiar with that truth. Obviously, that's Christianity. But when Jesus was on the earth... Not many people understood him to be the Messiah, especially the Son of God. They couldn't accept that. They didn't understand that until after he had already died. But Martha, she got it in this passage. She, she sees him. Then Jesus goes on and he encounters Mary. Now, when he encounters Mary, a similar reaction, she says to Jesus, if only you had been here, if only you had been here. And then after that, Jesus steps back for a moment, and he weeps. The verse that we know is the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now, I think about this passage a lot, and I think about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus a lot, because the question that I ask is, why was Jesus weeping, and why didn't he just raise Lazarus from the dead? He didn't even need to be there. Why did he have to go there and do all of these things? Why did he take on that risk? Because he is God. He could have stayed where he was, raised Lazarus from the dead. Not a problem. He's God, right? Why was he weeping? He was not weeping because Lazarus was dead. He knew that Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead. So Jesus, it forces you to ask this question, Jesus, what were you doing there and why were you grieved? Why were you weeping? And I think that in this passage, Jesus was weeping because of the pain that his friends were experiencing. Mary and Martha had for four days been grieving the death of Lazarus. For four days, they'd been wondering, well, we knew Jesus could do something, but he's not here. And Jesus comes close to them, near to them as a friend. And he weeps with them. Again, not because Lazarus is dead. He knows he has the power to raise him from the dead. He weeps because they had been grieving and they were distressed and sad. And then, of course, he raises Lazarus from the dead. So this is the context that I feel like is important to understand how close this family was to Jesus. And then we get to Luke chapter 10. And in this 
story, very similar to the one in Matthew 26. But in this story, you have Mary, Martha, and Jesus. And Jesus has come into town. And like a good Jewish woman, Martha is trying to prepare everything. She's making sure her hummus has just the right amount of salt. She's putting all the the falafel, getting them ready so that she can serve Jesus everything he needs. Right? Hospitality, you probably could guess this, but hospitality is a very important part in Jewish culture. I actually heard at the last service, Steve preached on hospitality last week, right? Okay, great. Awesome. So hospitality is important in this church, which is is very good. But hospitality in Jewish culture and in Middle Eastern culture in general is, has a very high value. Now, in the South, we value hospitality, for sure. But in the Middle East, take it to, like, the hundredth level of that. Um, you know, that's where we live, and I think there are some commonalities of what we experienced with Jewish hospitality. A few examples. Just this last February, we actually went back to where we were uh, serving. And um, when we were going back, we were going to stay for a month. And we contacted an old neighbor of ours. And this is just a single guy. And, um, but we trust him. We've, we've become really good friends with him. And he was like, well, if you're coming, you can't, you can't stay at a hotel. Like, you've got to stay with me. And I'm like, yeah, um, me and my wife and our three kids. Stay, yeah, we can stay with you. And then I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to tell my wife this? Okay, so when I, the reason I'm saying that is because you've got to think he has a probably less than 700-square-foot apartment. Two bedrooms, two bedrooms, right? We have five people, just my family. Then we have him, and then maybe his family comes over, right? Two bedrooms, one bathroom, right? So everything that I'm thinking is like, I don't, um, I want to say yes, but is my wife going to say yes? Thankfully she did. But it's like the idea of hospitality there is very different. It is, well, you know, you have to, I'm expecting you to stay, stay with us. And for me to say no to that invitation would have been offensive, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> now, there are boundaries, of course, but in that moment, it would have been offensive. So we took him up on his offer. It wasn't that bad, minus the cat. The cat was pretty bad. But we did stay there for a few days, and he served us left and right. I mean, he would cook for us. Just a single guy. You wouldn't expect it from a single guy to host his family with three kids. But that, in a Middle Eastern culture, is very normal and very expected. So when you look at Martha, Martha is doing the right thing here, right? Martha is serving. She is hosting. She is doing the best she knows to do. And Mary is doing the exact opposite. And Martha looks to Jesus and says, Jesus, do something about this. Mary needs to get up and she needs to help me. And Martha just had the guts to say say it. Everyone else that was there was probably thinking the same thing. This is Mary and Martha's home. She needs to get up, and she needs to do something. That's the way the Jewish culture was. And when you host someone, when you're hospitable to someone, you do everything for them. So Martha's trying and trying and trying to do this. And we notice three things about Martha. First, obviously, that she's serving, right? She's going out of her way. She's frantic. She's busy. She's trying to get all of these things done. But the next thing, two things that we notice, is that Jesus said to Martha, he says, Martha, Martha, why are you anxious and troubled by so many things. So we see that she's serving, and then Jesus tells us that she's also anxious and she's troubled. Now, anxiety and trouble or stress, those are two different things. Anxiety, the way I like to understand anxiety, is anxiety is something that's more internal. 
it doesn't always relate to external factors. Whereas stress or being troubled probably relates more to external factors. For example, losing a job or being sick or financial challenges, right? That can be, that can lead to stress or that can lead to trouble. And then anxiety, on the other hand, it's more internal. Steve actually said this after the last service, but it's like the, you feel as if you're losing control. Maybe nothing's causing that, but you feel as if you're losing control. It can be fear. It can be related to fear. For example, there's something that you're worried will happen or that you're anxious about happening, but there's no, there's no basis to be afraid of that happening. That's what anxiety is. It's not related to external factors. It's more something internal that is off. And Jesus says to her, Martha, why are you anxious and troubled? So she has both of these dynamics going on. But then we also notice Mary. And Mary, she's, she's doing three things as well. First, she's not serving, right? We notice that in the way that Martha is serving, Mary probably should be, but she's not. And the second thing we see her doing, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the third thing, is that she is listening to his teachings. Now, Mary and Martha in this passage, I feel like give us an answer to the way that we can face challenges that we experience in life. What Mary chose to do was not because she did not have problems. I'm sure that Mary had problems. In fact, Mary gave her dowry, her inheritance to Jesus. Just the thought of that would lead certain people, some people, probably many people to stress, to anxiety. It would lead you to think, oh man, I just wasted everything, right? I'm using Matthew 26 in co- to give you context of this. And she's thinking, I, I don't know what the future is going to hold. Mary probably had many reasons to be stressed or to feel anxious. And for us, sometimes in life, in fact, Jesus tells us that we should expect trials ourselves. Now, sometimes we don't experience persecution the way that maybe Christians in other countries do. You probably don't, right? In the Western church or in the Western world, it's more, you're more able to be open and be free about your faith, right? But Jesus said that we're called to take up our cross. Jesus also said that those who follow me will experience that type of persecution. Those who follow me will experience those types of troubles. So the question is, when those things come against us, what do we do? When those things come against us, I don't think our primary response should first be, not that this shouldn't be a response, but the primary response I don't think should be, Lord, remove all of these things. It's okay to pray that prayer, but I don't think that's the primary response. Because Jesus told us we're to expect persecution. I think our first and primary response when we experience those challenges and those pressures in our life should be to worship. The way that Mary chose to worship. Because when we worship and when we sit at his feet... It's not that those pressures go away, but they stop affecting you in the same way. 
So they don't disappear, but it's like flaming darts that just start to fall to the ground. They don't touch you. They don't impact you. Because you're sitting at the feet of Jesus and you're worshiping him. And you start to listen to his teachings the way that Mary listened to his teachings. And those teachings and sitting at his feet and worshiping starts to bring a peace that transforms us, that passes all understanding. Now, I I believe, of course, in praying. I think we are called, you know, Thessalonians tells us we are called to pray that God would remove wicked and unreasonable men. So we are called to pray for the persecuted church. We're called to pray that God would deliver us from persecution, for sure, okay? There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, we are also called to expect some of those, some of those things. So when it comes, it should not lead us to worry. It should not lead us to anxiety. It should lead us to the feet of Jesus and to worship him. Now, anxiety is a very interesting thing and something more and more that I think about with this generation and with the way social media is in this generation It is leading a generation to be almost crippled by anxiety. Almost suffocated by anxiety to where many times, and and maybe, you know, I think all of us have experienced, we, we feel the temptation to look at our phones, to look at our profiles, to look at our whatever, 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 to see if this person responded, that person liked. All of us do it. Or on your iMessage to send something and wait, are they responding yet or whatever. And it leads to a life of anxiety that is, I believe, crippling people. And the only answer for that anxiety, the only answer for that stress, the only answer for that pressure is when we come and when we sit at the feet of Jesus. The reason I like this family is because, when I say family, I mean Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, is because I feel like they knew Jesus as a friend. Of course, they knew him as Lord, you know. Of course, they knew him as the king, and he is. He's the creator, right? He was there before time began. He's all of these things. He's seated on the throne. He's glorious. He's holy. Sin cannot dwell before him. All of these things. But he is also a simple friend. The song that Toby sorry, was singing, A Friend to My Soul, I was just reading the lyrics of that last song, that I would have a friend to my, to my soul. I can't quite remember how it goes. But that we would have a friend. Jesus is that friend to us. And he can draw near to us the way that he did to Mary and the way that he did to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, expressing how he cares for her. He doesn't just stand up, rebuke her, and get in her face. He says tenderly, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. You're troubled by many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part. Now, when I was preparing for this, I feel like the question the Lord asked me personally was, why are you anxious and troubled? And I think that's the question for all of us. I'm a very type A person, if you know me. I'm very... I like things to be predictable. I like things to be very structured. I like things to be planned. I like to know what I'm doing tomorrow. I like to know what I'm doing tonight. I like to know what I'm doing five years from now, pretty much. This is, even though this is not that season for me, I don't know those answers. But I, I'm a very type A person. Like, that's the way my mind works. 
But it, those personality traits, what I've found, is that can lead to being anxious and being troubled. It can lead to us overthinking. It can lead to us overreacting. And many times what Jesus is actually inviting us to is why don't you release those things that you're trying to control? Why don't you release those things that you're trying to predict? Life, I want life to be black and white all of the time. You all know life is not black and white. The gray in life, I believe, is where God invites us to embrace and to dwell in his presence and grow. That gray area, we always are trying to get the the black and the white answers. But more times than not, what I've found, life is gray. And we want so bad to run from the gray. We try so hard to get either to the black or the white, whatever it is. We want to get out of it and find a concrete answer. But more times than not, life is gray, and his invitation is to wait. Don't run. Don't run. Why are you anxious and troubled? Why are you trying to fix and do and work and do all this stuff when the invitation is to sit, to watch, to look at me? So I want to invite Toby, if you want to come come back up here. We're going to go into a time of ministry. And, you know, feel free to respond however you feel led. I, I think there will be prayer teams. But more than anything, I feel this need for myself to respond. I just want to sit at your feet. There's so many things in my life that I have question marks for right now that I'm trying to answer. But his invitation is saying, why don't you just come? Why don't you not be anxious? And why don't you not be troubled about those things and just sit? Release that control. Release that anxiety and sit with me. Let's pray. Lord, we invite your presence. God, you are closer than we even know. And I pray this morning that you would help us to calm our minds, to calm our hearts, to not be thinking or anxious or troubled even about this afternoon and what our plans are. But God, I'm asking that you would calm our minds right now. And that you would allow us to sit with you, to be near to you, not to hear answers, Maybe you don't have, maybe you're not going to give us answers right now. But to be in your presence, to rest in your presence, to be close to you. Because that is when we encounter your peace. So Lord, would you come and minister to us? We want your Holy Spirit to come this morning. We want you to encounter us. In a tender way. In a near way. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. You can stand or sit however you'd like to engage. We'll enter into a time of ministry.